All right, would you do me a favor and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 38. Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 38. forgot to say hello to everybody that's watching on our uh, live stream. Good morning. Good morning. We love you. We miss you. Uh, we're glad that, glad that you're able to gather with us virtually. And uh, leave us a note in the text. Uh, let us know who you are, because sometimes we can't see who you are. And that way we know um, who's here and who's not. And if you can't do it that way, send us a text, send me a text, and just say, hey, I was, I was in the virtual uh, service, just so we know. All right, Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 38. Matthew 12, today we're, we're going to be continuing on with our series about hope. Last week we learned that hope is an anchor for our soul. And if you're going through the storm, you need that anchor. And if you have it, I'm here to tell you that it's possible to come out of the storm better than the way that you went in. Matthew chapter 12, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. But none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Father, I, I thank you for today. I, I thank you for the songs that we sung, for the, for the message that was already given. Father, your love is running after us. Father, pray that we'd see that, we'd respond to that. Lord, let your, let your word speak loud and clear to us. Holy Spirit, do as you wish. Speak to our hearts. Father, challenge us with this message. Lord, I pray that if people are in the pit, right now, that your word would set them free. Lord, we love you and give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love this passage, and I love it when the New Testament has a commentary on something from the Old Testament. I love that. And the fact that this is Jesus talking about it makes it even more interesting. Because if I'm honest... The story of Jonah is quite the tale, right? It's quite the tale. You read this in the Old Testament, I'm like, okay, is this an allegory? Is this just kind of a story that's meant to, to teach us something? Is this real? Did this happen? Did, did this guy really get swallowed by a whale and survive three days in the whale's belly? You know, there's a lot of questions here. But here, Jesus refers to it as fact. And not only references it, but he ties it to the same truth as his resurrection. All of Christianity, we know, hangs on the resurrection. If the resurrection did not take place, if Jesus did not die and rise again and defeat death and pay the price for our sins, then we shouldn't even be meeting here today. It really makes no sense. Tons of eyewitnesses, though, say that he did rise from the grave. Tons of people that saw this and witnessed it ended up dying for that faith, for that belief in that. And we know that people do not die 
for something that they know is a lie. You won't do that. You'll die for what you believe is the truth, though, right? And many of the people who saw, saw Jesus and witnessed him died for their faith, for that belief. Back to this passage, though. The scribes and Pharisees, a.k.a. religious leaders, a.k.a. bad guys, right? Here the religious leaders are the bad guys, want to see a sign from Jesus. Show us some trick. That's what they want to hear. And Jesus says, only an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, so I'm not doing it, except I'll give you the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the whale three days, so the Son of Man will be in the earth three days and three nights. Last week we said pits happen, right? Pits happen in life. The trials, the devastating things in life happen. And we said even if you're following God, right? Even if you're on the narrow road, even if you're doing what you should be doing, even if you're doing the right thing, pits happen. Jesus warns us, Right, That in this world you will have trouble. So we shouldn't be surprised by it. The enemy wants suffering to make you doubt God's goodness. The enemy wants you, in response to persecution, to walk away from your faith. Who needs this, right? This is what it means to follow Jesus, and I'm going to have these problems. Why bother? I thought everything was going to be roses. No, following God is hard. Jesus tells us, hey, Pick up your cross, right? Pick, us that, pick up that instrument of death and follow us. Follow me. On this journey, as we saw last week, sometimes someone throws you in the pit. Sometimes someone does something to you. Sometimes people do horrible things to people, right? Sometimes it's people in the church doing horrible things to people. Joseph's brothers threw him into a pit, sold him as a slave. We talked about that last week. Potiphar's wife lied and accused Joseph of doing something that he did not do, and he went from being a slave to a prisoner. And we learned that he was either a slave or in jail for 13 years. We live in a fallen world, and bad things happen to good people. Last week, though, we saw that what the world or what people mean for evil for you God can repurpose for your good. And we saw that play out in the life of Joseph. All right, on the other side of this is that sometimes we're not like Joseph, where somebody throws us in a pit. Sometimes we're like Jonah, and we find ourselves in the pit because we made a choice and kind of jumped in the pit ourselves. Anyone ever do that to yourself? Maybe a few times. I know I shouldn't do this, right? And the, the voice comes in your head, don't do this. You know you're going to regret it, right? I'm going to do it anyways, right? And you end up in the pit. I'm here to tell you that even in these pits, there's hope, right? There's hope. There's a future for you. Even when you're in places that you don't belong, even when you're in places that you should avoid, there's hope. When you fall, when you fail, when you mess up, right? I've messed up, you know, a couple of times in my life. There's hope there. That's why I want to look at Jonah today. How did, how did Jonah find himself in the pit? Jonah 1-1. Well, it's obvious Jonah just didn't do what God told him to do. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But... 
Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. I'm not going to sit here and pretend what God told Jonah to do was easy. It would have been extremely hard for him to do this. Jonah was told, go preach to the Ninevites, the Assyrians. The Ninevites, the Assyrian Empire, were responsible for much pain and devastation. They were masters of torture. That's how they were known. Masters of torture. They were merciless on the battlefield. If they conquered your city or captured you, uh, they loved to take trophies. They collected noses. They collected ears. They would wear them around their neck. They gouged out eyes. They perfected impaling people alive. If you've ever seen that, where somebody just sticks a giant stake in you and sticks you out of there, out of the ground. If you know Vlad the Impaler, a lot of people use Vlad the Impaler as this idea for Dracula. He actually loved to impale people, and he learned this from the Assyrians. Many people believe that it was the Romans who, who found out uh, or who invented crucifixion, but it was likely the Assyrians. They skinned people alive. I mean, these are not good people. They collected skulls, and they would place these skulls in front of their house in a pile and so you'd come over to their house and you'd see this stack of skulls kids today would call that that's how you flex right that would be their flex but horrible things barbaric and cruel and when jonah hears that their wickedness has come up to god he's probably like it's about dang time right good time for god to wipe these people out they were israelites enemies and i'm sure jonah had people in his life people that he cared about that were either tortured by these people or killed by these people. And I'm, I know he's thinking, man, Lord, judge them. Lord, wipe them out, right? They deserve it. God is a God of justice. Make no mistake. So their wickedness has come up before him, but God is also a God of love. And he acts out of both. So he's like, Go preach to them and see if you can get them to repent, turn from their ways. And we talked about this last week. God isn't just concerned about Christians. He desires that all people would be saved. That's why he sends a preacher to the enemy. Last chance before I punish you for the wickedness that's coming up before me. God, again, acts from both characteristics, justice and mercy. No, nowhere is this more clear than on the cross, right? God unleashes all wrath, all the price for humanity's sins, and he puts it on Jesus. There's justice. Somebody has to pay the price, but there's also mercy. God's willing to pay that price himself. He's willing to take our punishment. So Jonah is like, you want to give them a chance to be forgiven? I'm out of here, right? I'm bailing. I can't say I blame him, knowing just how bad these people are. So he heads to the, east, heads to the east to a city called Joppa. There he goes, uh, gets on another boat, and he's like, where are you, where are you heading? And he's like, uh, what's the farthest point I can get away from Nineveh? And so they, they say, well, there's a ship heading to Tarshish, which is about 1,500 miles away. So he, he boards the ship. Once again, Jonah 1.3, after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. He's doing this, obviously, so he doesn't have to 
carry on the assignment, do what, what God wants him to do, but he's also doing this to get away from the presence of the Lord. I can't believe God wants me to do this, right? He wants me to preach to these people. Here, here, here's a good takeaway that we, we have already mentioned, but let's just put it this way, all right? God loves people we hate, right? God loves people we hate. We were enemies of God at one time before we knew him, and yet he still reached out for us. He still pursued after us as his followers. We need to do the same. Who are the people that you really can't stand? Democrats, Republicans, Al-Qaeda, people in the Middle East. Who are the people that you can't stand? Michigan fans? <laughs> amen. No amens in that one. Right? But seriously, I mean, I have people that I just really, I, I really can't stand. Mm. But what's God's heart for those people? So Jonah's disobedient, which leads to correction. Why does God correct? Why does God discipline his sons and daughters? Well, it's the same reason that we do our sons and daughters, right? We care about them. We love, we love them. We want to see them on the right path. We know when they're headed for destruction. We know when they're headed for trouble, and we'll do anything that we can to correct that and stop that and put them on the right path, right? God loves us enough to be involved in our individual lives. The God of the universe is involved in six, seven billion people's lives. In this situation, he sends a storm, and I think this is kind of cool. God is so loving that he's willing to send a storm to get in the way of Jonah heading to a place where he shouldn't be heading. That's an interesting way to look at a storm in our life, right? We have the storms that come up in our lives. Is that God preventing us, correcting us? Could be. Right? Not all storms are from God. We said that people do horrible things to people. Right? But sometimes God uses a storm to correct us. We knew Jonah knew better. He was doing wrong. He just chose to embrace a, a season of backsliding and try to get away from God. So God sends a storm. Like I said, please don't take that I'm saying every storm is from God. But God can use every storm. Verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the seas, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Everyone here is calling on their idols and their gods that they worship. Here's the thing, though. Idols and gods that we create, they can't help us. They can't help us. There's a funny story in 1 Samuel 5, I don't know if you know this, uh, where the Philistines captured the Ark of the Lord and they put them put the Ark in uh, this temple of their god Dagon, right next to Dagon. When the Philistines come in the next door, do you remember this? Dagon's fell, fell over and it's on his face right next to the ark. So they, they pick Dagon up, they set him back up, right? and they come in the next day, and guess what? 
Dagon is again falling over. Uh, this time his hands and, hands and feet uh, have broken off. So I think it's funny because when they, when they came in, they probably said, Dag on it. Right? <laughs> so they say, <laughs> that's a dad joke, right? So these sailors wake up Jonah because he's sleeping. Why is he sleeping? Because it's exhausting running from God. I, I know that for personal experience, right? It is exhausting running from God. It's exhausting enough spiritually when you don't spend time with God, right? I see more and more people that just say, man, my soul is tired right now. I am worn out. It is exhausting if you're not, if you're not gathering on Sundays to be refreshed. If you're not spending time in the Word in your quiet time, it is exhausting. That's what we preached about two weeks ago, right? But it is even more exhausting when you're running from God, when you're trying to ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because make no mistake, He's always pursuing after you. He's always speaking to you. He's trying to get attention, your attention, right? But this is what Jonah's doing. He's trying to get away from the presence of God. Here's the thing, you can't get away from the presence of God. He's not confined to one space. Jonah 1.7, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea. And the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? For they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them that. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah's solution, throw me overboard. Verse 13, instead the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Do, do you see this? Do you see Jonah? I would rather die than go do what God wants me to do. Just throw me over, right? I'd rather be dead then see the Ninevites be saved. And you know what God does here? He doesn't say, fine, you're dead, right? No, he continues to not let go of him. He continues to pursue him. He loves him too much to let go. So he sends this this creature, this huge fish to swallow him. For, for those of you still wondering if this is real or this tale is a fish tale, you know, back in June, do you remember this story? Back in June, there was a story of this man from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, a lobster diver. 
and he was swallowed by a humpback whale. Do you remember that? Did you hear about that? This year, back in June. A 56-year-old was about 10 feet from the bottom when something downright terrifying happened. All of a sudden, I felt this huge shove, and the next thing I knew, I was complete, it was completely black. Packard said this just after being released from the Cape Cod Hospital in Hyannis. I could sense I was moving, and I could feel the whale squeezing with the muscles in his mouth. He started struggling as forcefully as he could, and he could tell the whale didn't like it. After what felt like a lifetime, the whale surfaced. I saw light, and he started throwing his head side to side, and the next thing I knew, I was outside in the water, said Packard. I can't imagine being in a fish for three days and three nights. But that's what God does to correct Jonah. Kind of weird way of doing it, kind of a weird way of showing love. But I think this is why God is described as a father, because that's what us dads do, right? This isn't a mom idea. Oh, I'm going to have Jonah swallowed by a whale, right? This is a dad, I, this is a dad thing, right? <laughs> Proverbs 3.11, my child. Don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Jonah's on a path away from God. Jonah's on a path away from God's best, and God loves him enough to steer him back. And my friends, that might be you today. You're on a path away from God, fleeing God's presence. You want nothing to do with God, right? But God's pursuing you. He's trying to steer you back. He hasn't let go of you. He hasn't thrown you away. He's coming after you. He desires to have a relationship with you. End of, end of Jonah 1. Jonah's in the whale three days, three nights. Jonah 2 says he prays. You know what I noticed? Dang, Jonah's stubborn, Right? He's in the whale three days and three nights before he prays. Well, it's warm in here, and at least I don't have to preach to those Ninevites, right? After three days of it, though, it probably starts to smell. Maybe the smell is getting to him. He's ready to pray. Jonah 2.4 says, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I will look again towards where my heavenly Father is. How do you find hope in the pit? Look to God, right? Look towards him. What do you think he saw when he did this, when he, when he looked towards God? I think he saw a welcoming gaze, right? Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? Do you remember how the father's constantly looking for this son? That This son totally disrespects him in all regards, right? But the father's looking for him, and when he finally sees him, what's he do? He runs towards him right? That's our heavenly father. Yeah, when, he, when Jonah looks towards God, I know he sees a welcoming gaze. I remember my kids growing up and when they would do things and get in trouble, right? They knew they messed up. And you know what they would do often? They would sneak peeks at our faces to see what was going on. Is, is dad still mad? Is mom still mad, right? Their heads would be down, but they'd sneak a peek up and see what kind of mood we were in. And I think they're just waiting for that moment, right, where we communicated, we still love you. It's okay. Yeah, you messed up. We still love you, right? No matter what. They'd look at you, and they'd want you to look back at them and just reassure them of that. 
that you still love them. And I think that's our Father too. Of course I still love you. You might be running from God, but I'm still pursuing after you. I'm still running towards you, right? I want to correct you, but it's because I love you, and I want what's, be- want what's best for you. I don't know where you might be at right now, but God is a God of second chances. Don't despair. Look to him. Draw near to him. There is a future for you. Jonah 2.10, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Not only do pits happen, but spit happens, right? That's how the lobster diver got out. The whale spit him out. Spit happens. Jonah gets spit out onto the beach. And I love what happens next, Jonah 3.1. Check this out. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go through the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Do you see what God didn't say there? Do you see how he spoke to Jonah? It's just like nothing ever happened, right? God didn't rub his nose in it. Well, are you ready now to, to follow me and do what I asked you? You know, do you realize how much you messed up? You know, I hope you're sorry for what you did. Now we've wasted all this time, right? He doesn't do any of that. He just corrects him, and he's ready to move forward. He's got a second chance. This time, Jonah delivers the message God told him to preach. He preaches, and guess what? The people actually take it to heart. Revival breaks out. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people changing their ways. Even the king, he takes off his royal robes and puts on this burlap clothes, and he sits in a heap of ashes. The people start to fast, right? They took this so seriously that they put burlap clothes on their animals and made their animals fast. So many people turn from their wicked ways and start praying to God and, and that God relents from his punishment and doesn't destroy them. This is one of the greatest revival stories in the Bible. And it's kind of ironic because it's preached by a guy who didn't want to preach it. He didn't want to preach it, Right? A guy that didn't want the revival to happen. He didn't want these people to turn from their ways. And he actually gets mad because the people do repent. Because God wasn't going to destroy them now. Jonah 4.1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Check this out. This is, this is great. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. What a horrible God, right? And then he says, just kill me now. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. That's, that's pride right there. Can we notice a few things, though, from Jonah's prayer? First, look, why does he pray? He wanted to complain. He wanted to complain to the Lord. That's what it says. Please, don't think that you have to come to God and only speak the things that you think he wants to hear with the right Christian language and a bunch of Christian words, right? When we do that, we leave all the junk behind we push it back all the things all the stuff that needs to get addressed we push it back and god's like no 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 bring that up bring that to me so that we can 
deal with it. Let's drag what's in the darkness into the light. Lord, I am upset because my life is going horrible right now. I'm following what you want to do, Lord, and it just feels like my life just keeps getting worse and worse and all these bad things are happening. And here's my neighbor who's doing all sorts of bad things and it seems like his life is prospering. And God says, all right, let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. Please have honest conversations with God about your feelings, right? I love what Jonah whines about. I already said this, you know. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, darn it. I knew it. Didn't I tell you that you were going to do this? That's why I ran away. Here's the thing. I guarantee you, Jonah never had a problem being on the side of God's mercy. Never had a problem with God giving him mercy, right? But he wants justice for those people he doesn't love, that he doesn't care about. This is you and me, right? We want justice for others, but we want God's mercy for ourselves. We want God's grace for ourselves, don't we? Jonah's so stubborn and prideful, he asked God to kill him. I love, I love that he shows us, though, that we can be honest, right? Have you ever had that kind of prayer with God, just super honest? All of us hit low moments in life, don't we? All of us can have a moment where we look at life and we're at some point that we don't see it getting any brighter. It happens. Look how many people commit suicide. People get to a place where there's no more hope for them. That should drive us to, to reach out to people who are struggling. That should, that should be a priority for us to share the hope that we have with them. Hey, there is a hope for your life. You might feel like you're in a pit right now. But we serve a God who jumps in the pit with you and pulls you out of those pits. And us, called by his name, we're called to do the same thing. Jump in a pit, right, with somebody? Sometimes when you place yourself in a pit, you get stuck, man. man. And, and maybe you think this, man, I've really messed up this time. You ever had that thought? Here's something about your, your heavenly father, though. He does not keep stats. He does not keep score. He's not like, what have you done for me lately? If you're not performing, I'm going to cut you. God will never get sick of you, right? He will never abandon you. You can leave God, but he'll never leave you. You can try and run from God, but he'll pursue after you. And he's willing to create storms to get your attention. At the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah and God have this great quirky, weird moment involving a plant. Jonah's just sitting there and watching the city. He's still hoping that God's going to destroy the city. That's his, his hope. He's hoping that any minute, right, the flames and the meteors are going to come on and just God's going to judge them every, anyway and just destroy this. So he's just literally sitting there watching. But instead, God comes to him with a series of questions. And this is how God's work. A lot of us want answers from God, right? And a lot of times he just brings questions to us. It kind of upsets me sometimes because I just want the answer. But a lot of times he just brings a bunch of questions. When you are the wonderful counselor, it's not about as much the answers you give, but the questions that you ask. 
I noticed that it will never be as powerful of a revelation to have somebody tell you what you need to know as opposed to you figuring it out yourself, answering some questions yourself, using that space in your own time, right, to work it out. So God comes in and just asks Jonah questions. Jonah 4.4, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Is it really right for you to be angry that I want to save these people, right? That's a great question. Probably not the, I don't know, when I'm angry, if somebody would say, is it right for you to be angry, I'd probably just get more angry. But it's the question that we need to consider, right? God asked Jonah this a couple times, Jonah 4.9. This is Jonah's response, and I love it. Honesty, right? Man, we think, we think the people in the Bible are these great superheroes, really religious people, but man, Jonah is a stubborn, mm, need to be smacked around a little bit, right, with the two-by-four to wake up. But he says this, it is, it is right, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand? You see what he's saying? God gives Jonah a great lesson here. God provides a plant to grant him some shade, to grant him some relief, right? But then God also provides a worm to eat the plant, and it dies, and he has his shade taken away, and Jonah gets mad about it. Here's the thing. Jonah didn't make that plant, though, right? He didn't do it. All of us have things that we care about in life that we didn't make, we didn't create, and we get mad or we get sad when those things are taken away from us or they're broken or destroyed. But here's what God is trying to show him. He created these people. He created these people in the city of Nineveh. He made them. He made them. He fashioned each and every one of them in a special way, and he wants the best for them. Yeah, they might be your enemy, but I created them, Jonah, and I want what's best for them. I want you to, to preach to them. I want them to come back. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know the right way. They need somebody to tell them that. They need somebody that will reach out with compassion for them, with the word of God for them. He wants them to turn from their ways. But Jonah doesn't want that. If we go back to the passage in Matthew, I want to end with this. Jesus is demonstrating what he's about to do on the cross, right, and the rising uh, from the dead. And he uses Jonah as the demonstration. Jonah gets, be, gets to be used by Jesus to demonstrate his great plan from saving us from the grave. Here, here's the big deal of that. Jesus wasn't embarrassed to use what was the most embarrassing thing in Jonah's life as a picture to present the gospel, right? The gospel of grace to people. And he's willing to do the same for us. Jonah should have never been in that fish. He should have never turned his back from God. He should have never have gone on that journey, right? But what made the story a great sermon illustration wasn't that he went in, is that he, but it's that he came out after three days. It's that he prayed. It's that he was spit out. And, we, and, and he became, in coming out, a picture of what Jesus wants to do for each and every one of us. You see what I'm saying? 
I'm saying that your failure can be a picture of God's grace. Right? The more awful your failure, maybe even the bigger picture of God's grace. The, the more spectacular the rise, right, when you stand up in the midst of it and you repent and you look again towards God's holy temple. God can take your biggest mistake, your biggest regret, and make it a powerful testimony of God's grace and goodness. Second chances are where God begins. Lamentations 3, 19 through 23. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Right? Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Amen? Man, I hope you, I hope you grab onto that. No matter how many times you've screwed up. No matter what you think God thinks about you. His compassions are new every morning. They never fail. I want to extend an invitation in this moment to you. For anybody today that's never made the decision to give your heart to Jesus. The Bible says we're all sinners. That's the bad news. The good news is, though, that God sent Jesus to die for our sins. To pay the debt for our sins. The Bible tells us that he rose on the third day. They conquered death. And if we put our faith and our trust in him, that he can save us. He'll forgive you, and he can give you the promise of eternal life. If you haven't done that ever, I want to extend that invitation to you. Christ is here saying, hey, you're doing things in your life your way, all right? It's probably not working out so well. It probably feels pretty empty. And he's saying, follow me. I got a different way of doing life. Follow me. Maybe you know him. Maybe you've been running from him. This is the time to come home. This is the time to turn your gaze back to him. Christ can give you purpose and meaning for your life. He can give you life to the fullest. That's what's available to you. And I hope that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now in your heart and telling you this is true. If you want to follow follow Christ, I can lead you in a prayer to make that decision to follow him and start that journey. I'm going to pray that prayer for all of us, right? I, I tell you what, it'll be the greatest journey you ever take. It'll be the craziest, wildest, weirdest ride you ever take. Let me warn you, you decide to follow Christ, the world will hate you. It's just what's going to happen. I'm going to be right out there. But I'm going to tell you this too. There is far more to gain from following Christ than trying to f follow after this world. There is nothing in this world, nothing this world can offer that can compare what Christ offers. Peace, joy. Peace and joy that goes beyond all understanding, right? Not the normal happiness. True joy, unconditional love, purpose, meaning, and an awesome but weird family, right? All these people around you can be your family.
Would you stand with me? If, you're, if you've been running from God, you know what to pray, right? Lord, I'm sorry. Father, help me turn back to you. Just embrace him in these moments. If, if, if you want to get to know him, though, and you want to start this journey, and you feel like the Holy Spirit's asking you, telling you, follow me, follow after me, I want to pray this prayer with you. With you. Would you bow your heads and join me in this prayer? Dear God, I, I know that I've done things that I shouldn't have done. I can't fix that. Lord, I, I can't fix myself. Father, I believe that you can, though. I believe that Jesus died for me on a cross to pay for my sins. Father, I believe that you are alive because you're speaking to me right now in my heart. So I will follow you and trust you with my life. Jesus, save me. Be my friend. Be my Lord. And help me to follow you. Lord, I ask this in your name. I just want to pray for everybody else. Father, I thank for today. Lord, I pray if there's people still in the pit, whether it's of their choice or not. Lord, I pray that you would speak life into their lives. I pray that they would turn to you and entrust these to you. Father, if they're running from you, I pray that they would repent and they would follow your will and what you're calling them to do, no matter how scary it is, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how much they don't want to do it. Lord, whatever you're calling them right now, Father, help them to die to themselves, to die to what they want to do, and instead follow you. Lord, I pray that you would send us from here and that you would put people in our paths who need this message of hope. I pray that you put people in our paths who are struggling, Lord, and that you would give us the words to say and that we would just reach out to them and offer to do anything that we can. Father, I pray for the people that we don't like maybe even the people that we hate. Help us to see them differently, Lord. Help us to see that you're the God who created them, individually fashioned them. You have, you have so much value for them. You love them. You want them to know what the difference is between their right and their left, right? And you are providing us to be that message, to use us to pass on your message father give us opportunities to do that help us to see people with the worth that you have given them lord we love you and we give you all praise in your name we pray amen if you prayed the message if you prayed for that salvation would you come and tell me and talk to me about it or get in touch with me this week just so i can carry on that and help you know which way to go. All right, you are dismissed.